for you to this house, this place, at this time, Father, for this reason. To know you better and to love you more, Father. I pray that you would teach us tonight through your word what you would wish for us to learn. And for that, those things you wish us to unlearn, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to let go and just to open up and hear from you, Father. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you would dwell here among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I get no introduction tonight. When I found that out, my buddy Brad said, The man that needs no introduction. The man, the myth, the legend. Um, we've just come out of the Young Lion series where we heard a lot of testimonies of, of wandering and testimonies of faithfulness. And now it's only appropriate that we move into the epistle of James how do we walk this out? You know where we've been, and you know where we're at now, but how do we go from here forward? How do we, how do we move collectively into kingdom living, into kingdom thinking? Just like Dave was talking about the kingdom, how do we move there? So, uh, <clears throat> first, can you put that first picture up there for me, Alice? When I read the book of James, this is what I hear. James chapter 1. I'm serious. When I read this, I've got this audio Bible, and the guy, I don't know why every audio Bible I ever listen to, the guy's probably about 60 years old and British, and he says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put that next picture up there for me. This is what my spirit does when I read James. Yeah, good guy, get on up, come on, ha! Put the next one up for me, though. But this is what my flesh feels like, just a rebel, because I instantly say, oh, I can't do that. That's too much for me. I'm not even going to go there. But all those, those are not probably what the author of James looked like. This may be more appropriate. He can't even see you because <laughs> Google Images does those things from time to time. We know that James probably had a beard. He was, he was Jewish. They hung around with Jesus, so they all had beards. But that's kind of what Google says that the author of James looked like. So I want to tell you a little bit about James. Who was he and what's the point of this book? If you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 1 because that's where we'll be for the duration of the evening. I will tell you this. If you get done before I do, there's about eight doors. Feel free to let yourselves out because we're going to go somewhere. But if you've got to check out, feel free to leave. James was the oldest half-brother of Jesus. He witnessed Jesus' appearance after the resurrection and was at the upper room to await the Spirit. He was concentrated on sharing and winning his Jewish brethren to Jesus. This was James's mission, to win his Jewish brothers that did not believe to the Christ. The book or epistle is suggested to be written shortly before his martyrdom in A.D. 62 or as early as A.D. 46. So you can conclude that James was in fact martyred for his faith in Christ. The book itself details James' appeal to, to the believer that true faith results in outward acts of obedience and righteousness. I'm going to say that again in case you need time to write it down. The book itself details James' appeal to the believer that true faith results 
in outward acts of obedience and righteousness, living out what we say we believe, as well as maturity and endurance. It's one thing for me to say, yeah, I believe this, but it's another thing for me to actually live that way. You ever seen people, there's a show called Doomsday Preppers. And some of them think like that there's going to be a, a chemical outbreak and then some think that the power grid's going to shut down and then some think that we're going to be invaded by Russia and China. And they believe this so strongly that they spend all of their time and their money and their resources prepping, storing up rain barrels full of water, planting booby traps in their backyard. They're teaching 10 and 12-year-olds how to... How to uh, combat skills, and the, I saw one of them one time. I don't, I don't just study and watch these shows, but I've seen, I've seen brief interludes of them. And this one guy was teaching his son. He would hide food and give him a mystery map, and kind of like a treasure map, and he would make them find the food so that he can see how their prepping skills are advancing. But see, these guys and gals are doing something that a lot of us Christians don't even do on a daily basis. They're living out what they say they believe. Whether or not their view is skewed, I don't know. They could be right. But the point is, these guys and gals are living out. Every day they're focused. They have a mission. They have an objective. Yeah, I'm going to go to work, but in every waking moment, all my spare time, what am I doing? I'm preparing for something to come. Do we, are we preparing for something to come? Do we live like that? this is all that there is? Do we store up all of our treasures in Action Comics number one? Or are we living for the kingdom? Do we walk out what we say we believe? And that's the, what the, the whole book is about. So why, why give you the background on the book? Because you have to know the context and the content with which we're going to go through this whole series. If we're talking about the book of James, if I don't tell you who James was, where he lived at, the time period... He saw Jesus while he was alive. He says he was there at the ascension. And then he waited in the upper room for the Spirit to come. So the things he wrote down, he, it said, I told you that he was martyred for his faith. James lived his life in such a way, he said, I can't deny it. So I'm going to try to win all the Jews I can for Christ. He was ultimately killed for that. He believed it so strongly that he lived a life of power, helped turn the Roman world upside down, and then ultimately died for his faith in Jesus Christ. He lived out what he said he believed. So knowing what he witnessed and what he'd gone through, and you also need to know who this book is written to. His target audience was the Jews, the non-believing Jews. So when you look at this with us, because this series is not, we come up and tell you what the book of James says. This is interactive. You have homework between this week and next week, you are to go home and read James chapter 2 so that you can be prepared in your spirit for what Brad has to say or what the Lord has to say through Brad rather than that. Capiche? Capiche? How come when Wayne Berry says capiche, everybody's like, yeah, capiche? And I say it, and you're like, yeah, whatever he said, whatever he said. <coughs> okay, we're going to focus on chapter 1 for tonight, okay? And... uh Chapter 1, there's really three main points. We could talk from now to the end of the year on chapter 1, but there's really three main points that, that really stuck out to me that I want to I share with you tonight. The first one is to prepare yourselves. 
The second one is enduring tests. And the third one is walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. Now walk it out. Prepare yourselves, enduring tests, and walk it out. Was that funny? Somebody said funny to you? I know the first two points can probably be grouped together. You prepare yourself for enduring tests, but it's important that I separate them here because it was important enough for James to separate them. Because if you read this, this chapter, he has complete thoughts that move. And he starts off by saying, put that verse up there for me, ma'am. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let me stop right there. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. That's a term of endearment. He's making this personal. He's not writing to somebody that's um, afar off from him or he does not have a relationship. He's making this real. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. He did not say if. But he said when. Sometimes we act so shocked that we go through something. We have an amazing church service on Sunday, and then we flip out on Monday when the enemy tries to attack us. Why is this happening, God? I paid my tithes. I'm faithful. Why is this happening? And we flip out and we lose our minds, and we first we run to every single person in our lives on this spiritual checklist. Let me go to my pastor. And then let me go to my friends. And then let me go to my husband or my wife. And then finally, I guess all I can do now is pray. We act like it's strange. And James says right here, don't, don't, don't get it messed up. Don't think it's strange when you face trials. Because you know. See, the implication here is you already know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you hear that, guys? I know it's not fun to face trials, but man, what an encouragement James gives us here. He said, look, it's going to happen. Don't think it's strange. Don't act like it's crazy when it happens because it will happen. This is life. This is a fallen world. We are born into sin. Don't think it's crazy that the testing, but because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then there's a conditional statement right after that in verse 5. If, if any of you lacks wisdom, and you can interject, then you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So when was the last time we really had a trial or you know, and trials trials are different for every one of us. My boss says that he struggles with overeating. So a trial for him is to not go to old Charlie's on Free Pie Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's a trial for him. Because he knows that that's going to be a struggle. He's going to want the apple and then pay for the peach, right? But then a trial for me <coughs> may be totally different. Some people are fighting some real battles out there. Some people are struggling with some real illnesses. Um, Brother Ian got up here um, Sunday morning and shared with us that there's a real battle going on in Honduras. But guess what? At the same time, there's a real battle going on at the Jones house and at the Bashir's house. 
at the strong household, at the white household, you name it, fill in the blank. We're all facing real trials and real battles. They all just differ. And what we got to do, saints, is stop looking over here to the left and to the right and comparing our struggles with somebody else. Saying, man, how did they get, you don't know what they had to go to, through to get there. We wonder why she come in with her pajama pants on and her hair's all messed up on Sunday. You don't know what battle she's facing. And I'm, I know I'm, I'm making up kind of exaggerated examples, but we do that. We do that. Or I do that, should I say. Let me stop putting that on you guys. I know I do. So, the first point James gets, wants to make in the whole book is to prepare yourselves. You guys need to be equipped because what comes after this is going to be a lot worse than the things you think are trials now. Some of the, some of the saints in, in this book were sawn asunder, and that's a King James term, sawn asunder. I had to give you one King James term. Does anybody know what asunder means? It means cut in half, but not this way. It means this way. Some had holes drilled in their head and molten lead poured in. Some of them. We got brothers and sisters. That, that may not, we can take it all the way back that far to the early church, or we can go to Iraq and Iran and Syria 20 minutes ago. You want to really bring it home? There's people being persecuted right now. You know, we can't even pray to the name of Jesus at our public school down here without getting shut down. May not be as bad as what's going on overseas, but it's a trial nonetheless. It's a trial we have to face at home. And James clearly says at the very beginning, don't think it's strange, don't think it's crazy. You need to be aware that there are trials and you're going to face trials, but this is why. So that perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, whole, not lacking anything, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Mm, you messed up today. I'm not going to give you wisdom to overcome tomorrow. It's not what that scripture says. It says he gives to all without finding fault. It will be given to him. So we know we need to prepare ourselves. Why? Because we're going to have to endure tests. The first part of this chapter lays the groundwork in preparing us and now James moves into the tests. Okay? <coughs> this next portion, what the Lord showed me was the reason I need to be prepared is because there's actual steps to sin. And you're going to see in just a second. Can you put that next verse up for me? This is verses 13 through 15. We skip down if you're following along with me. Actually, I'm going to read to you a little bit before that. James says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do you see? Can anybody see the steps in this? 
When you're tempted, don't say God has tempted me or this is a test, this is a trial, this is a chance for me to push through. He says, God's not going to tempt you. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Those are two different things. You can be drawn away by your own evil desire and not be enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let me just show you in a story version. Maybe this will clear it up. Can you go to Proverbs 7 with me? Hold your place in James and go to Proverbs 7 with me. Because I really feel like that Scripture constantly reaffirms itself. Now, you've got to be careful. You can't just pick and choose where you want to go in Scripture and make it fund your Christian agenda. But the Word, the Holy Spirit confirms truth through His Word. It says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, with her seductive words. Does that sound like preparing yourself? Does that sound like you need to be prepared for something to come? And then we get down to verse 6. It says, at the window of my house, I looked. I looked out through the lattice and saw among the simple... I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, and as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with a crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. Uh-oh. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with, with money, and he will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierced his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. So we have this story of how he was drawn away and enticed. It says he looked for her in the twilight, in the dusk, and in the dark of night. Sounds like to me that he actively pursued, even though he didn't know what he was pursuing. He was drawn away of his own evil desire. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Do you see, my brothers and sisters, how there are steps and there is a process to sin and iniquity in our lives? Now, I know we're going to mess up. I say things a lot. That's one of my biggest mess-ups is just blurting out what I'm thinking right at that moment. But even though I can, I can justify that as saying, oh, I just, that just slipped out. No, 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 no. There's steps to that. Nobody wakes up and says, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife today. No, no, no. It happens long before then when you're drawn away of your own desires. When you start thinking the grass is greener on the other side. When you start delving into a secret lifestyle. All those things lead up. And you look back and say, what happened? How did this happen? Because there was a step. There was a process. Just like there is a process of progressive sanctification, we are positionally sanctified with Jesus Christ when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And then from here till we cross over Jordan, we are being progressively sanctified more and more to the image of Christ. And the opposite is also true. There is a step and a path that will lead you to destruction. And it's spelled out clear as day in Proverbs. We love the story form. But James sums it up in two verses. When you're tempted, don't think it's strange because you're being drawn away of your own lusts, your own desires. And then when that has conceived, then it gives birth to sin, and then sin gives birth to death. James is trying to prepare something. Because not only are we going to face trials, how are we going to face them? I've seen people face some of the worst things, death and, and cancers and things like that, with the noblest of attitudes. Whether my God is bigger, my God is stronger, that same mentality that, that the three Hebrew boys had says, you know what, our God can save us from this furnace, but even if he don't, we're not going to bow down to you. Do we live our life with such abandon that when we face these little minuscule trials, that our attitude doesn't go down the dump, we don't instantly start complaining, and it doesn't take... Kids from the youth group to get you in check. Come on, Justin, calm down, man. It's just a capture the flag game. Does that sound like that's happened before? Because it hasn't. Okay? And if anybody else tells you that it did, they're, tell them come see me first. But there must be a recognition at some point along the way. Nowhere in that story did you hear the young man saying... Man, this may not be a bad idea, man. It's getting dark. I should probably go home. No, no, no. He kept going and kept walking and kept walking. And then when he finally got there and she's all in his face and she's already got her bed spread out and her husband's gone, she's got this excuse and this plan, and he falls right into it. Did you hear the last part of it? It said like a deer with its foot trapped in a noose. Until an arrow pierces its side, that doesn't sound pleasant, but that's what the result is, my brothers. Sin will lead to death. And, not, and sometimes it'll lead to physical death. I've seen people get out there and get in some wrong situations that no shouldn't have, and they don't come back. That's why I'm really adamant that the young people, and even the old people, you don't have to stray. You don't have to go out there and sow your wild oats. You don't have to do those things because there's no guarantee you're going to make it back. There's no guarantee that, it's, that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. It may not even be a tunnel. It could be a cave. 
And you can remember, you, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. Don't think you've got to start straying now. It's crunch time. The world's not getting any better. I promise you that. I know that for a fact because I was tricked by about a 15-year-old Jehovah's Witnesses girl that came to my door and told me a trick question. She said, do you think the world's getting better? I said, uh, sometimes. She said, well, the Bible says that the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I said, you know what? You're right. It's great. You have a great day. It's awesome. One time, one time somebody came to my door, and they was knocking on my door. They opened the door, and they said, can I, can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? I said, sure, come on in. Went in. We sat down at the table. She looked at me. I looked at her. She looked at me. I looked at her. She looked at me. I looked at her. I said, well, come on. She said, I don't know. I've never made it this far. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> True story. True story. True story. That's not a joke. That's a real story. <laughs> But the point is, there has to be some type of recognition along the way. I didn't put this scripture up there, but I want to read this to you. This is out of Genesis chapter 4. Cain has brought his offering before the Lord, and so has Abel. And Cain's angry because his, uh, his offering wasn't accepted. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it is desire is to have you. But you must master it. What? Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you. You don't have to go far to find sin. It is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you. But you must master it. This is what he told Cain. So there has to be a recognition. You don't have to fall all the way like that, that young man did in the twilight, in the dust, and at the midnight. You don't have to go that far. And this is what James is trying to prepare us for. So sin is crouching at your door. So James moves on, and he starts teaching us how to walk this out. So we skip down to verse 19. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness, the righteous life that God desires. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Is that relative for us right now? Yeah, I think this is written probably, what, 62 A.D., 46 A.D., somewhere around there? And this is what James says. Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and do deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, 
He will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, help me, Jesus, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Do you remember I just sat up here and told you sometimes I'll blurt things out? I'll say them and he'll be like, oh, God, I should have said that. Some of us don't necessarily blurt them right out, but we'll blurt it right out on Facebook and you'll be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And now we'll kind of go back and you'll see edited up there. I ain't stupid. You thought about it. Tim was like, man, let me, let me tweak this just a little bit. I'm just saying, man. I mean, that's not in the Bible, but it's kind of just your tongue. You're just not verbally speaking it out. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He said, and this and this and this. To help the widows and the orphans and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. It's so easy to stop right there and say, man, I give the missions. You know what? That guy came the other day. You know what? I was like, you know what? We need to give some money, honey. We need to give some money. Right? Get your checkbook out. Then we go home and our lives are filthy. So we got part A, we forgot about part B. It's like when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they was talking about tithing. He said, yeah, you give a tenth of your spices and your dill and your cumin and all that. You should keep doing that. But you forgot to love on people. You forgot about that. You should have done this and and forgot totally about giving your tithes and offerings because it's worthless now can't come in here and give an offering and then go and live your life any kind of way you want. You can't come in here and hear the word on Sunday morning. You can't merely get up here when Ronnie says, all right, stand with me, brothers, and let's read the scripture. And then for six days and 23 hours after that, not even crack the book. It's not going to cut it, people. It's not going to cut it because you're going to run right into that lady and you're going to be keep walking at twilight and at, at dusk and then at midnight and you're not even going to know it. It said he did not know that it would cost him his life. He thought he'd be okay. He thought, I'll make it out. You know what? I have a testimony after this. Yeah, I bet. We got a testimony of what not to do. You realize some people will show you what not to do in this world? Me included. That's my testimony. That's why I get up here and tell you I love a born testimony. Don't go down that road. I've been there. I'm telling you, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. It's no good for you. I saw that lady, and luckily I was lucky enough to get out from under her grip. <laughs> you laugh, but I've been there. I smell like smoke. I've been in hell. But how do we be it? How do we be doers and not just hearers? How do we do that? so easy for me to get up here and tell you, be a doer of the word. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. Because I don't know how to do that. But the key is in verse 21. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Another version of the, this scripture says, grafted. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. There's a, there's a species of, of orange trees in Florida that orange growers grow. And I think it's Florida's natural. I can't remember the, the brand. But a certain type of, 
of orange tree, their roots go way down and they pull up tons and tons of water. But the oranges that grow on are like, eh, so-so. And then there's another species, <coughs> excuse me, that the fruit is so sweet, but it takes forever because its root system just spreads out and it doesn't really go deep into the soil. And so what they'll do is they'll grow the ones with the deep root. I'm serious, you can look this up. They'll grow the ones with the deep roots They'll grow a whole grove of those, and then they'll cut them off and graft in the sweet fruit on top of that, and they'll just pull all the nutrients that that other tree had worked so hard to obtain, but it never gets to bear the fruit. Now this other one's coming in and gets grafted onto it, and it's one that gets all the praise. Oh, this is the best juice ever. But see, it was the roots from something else that did the work. I tell this story all the time. Well, not, I wouldn't say all the time. I just pretty much picked it up after I thought about it about three or four months ago. But, <laughs> but it's become my new go-to. When, we were, when, we, when I was little, um, we lived at this house in Nashville. My dad planted this peach tree. And he, uh, I, I, was, I was nipping at the bud every year. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have peaches and peach pie and peach cobbler. And every year we'd go out there and there was nothing and so I asked him, I said, Dad, why is there no peaches on this tree? He said, son, it takes so many seasons before this tree starts to produce fruit that's good for us to eat. But see, me and my not non-wisdomed self, is that even a phrase? You can't even say that. In my ignorant adolescent state, <laughs> that worked, um, I thought that it should just automatically be producing peaches because it was a peach tree. No, no, no. See, there's seasons. It has to bloom, and then all the leaves have to fall off, and it has to look barren, and it has to bloom again, and then all the leaves have to fall off, and it has to look barren. Do you kind of follow where I'm going? Well, we ended up moving away. I never got the first peach off of that tree. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you. I guarantee that there's a family right now at that house that's pulling off buckets of peaches every year. And they're reaping the fruit from something he sowed. He, he did the work. He went and got the tree. He planted it. God watered. But we never saw the increase. And you know what? I guarantee he's not even messed up about it because somebody else gets to eat off that tree. You see? It says to receive the engrafted word. You cannot walk this out on your own. Where do we get off thinking that I was saved by grace, but now since James says to walk it out, I'm just going to do this in my own strength. You are no match for the powers of hell. I promise you that. Because you see what we do. It says we are drawn away of our own evil desires. I got saved by grace. I was in such a low spot, and I felt so just exchanged when I gave my life up to God, and now... I'm like Galatians 3 where he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I said that to a guy one time. I said, you know what? The word says, who has bewitched you? I said, Satan wants to bewitch you. He said, what's that supposed to mean? Satan want to be with me. I said, no, no, no. Satan wants to bewitch you. He said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. What's that supposed to mean? He wants to be with me. I said, no, man. He wants to bewitch you. He said, like the show? I said, yeah. He said, what does that even mean? I said, he wants to trick you, man. 
Paul says, who has tricked you into thinking that what you started in the spirit, you are now trying to walk out in your own strength? And it is so easy to try to do that right here at the end of James chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only because we read verses like he that hears the word and does not do it is like a man that looks in the mirror and then goes his own way and forgets what he looks like. What are you going to do? You're going to shake yourself free from your addictions? from your secrets, from not communicating, from not opening up. And that's not, a, that's not an invitation to go spill the beans to everybody. What are you going to do? You're going to work hard. You're going to be good. That doesn't work. I, I work hard and I try to be good. My greatest, my greatest challenge in life <coughs> is not my devotion it's not my discipline. It's not my work ethic. As Judah Smith would tell you, your greatest, your great, the greatest thing you can do in your life is believe the gospel. That's the key. How do we walk this out? Verse 21, get rid of all moral fields. How do I do that? I'm struggling. I'm bound. I'm shackled up. You don't forget they let Barabbas go and took Jesus he didn't do anything. I've told you all this before. Barabbas didn't do anything. Pilate brought him out, and then the people chose, and they let Barabbas go. And Jesus went and died on the cross. Barabbas didn't undo his own chains. He didn't unshackle himself. Why do we think that we got to unshackle ourselves? I, didn't, I got myself into this mess. Now I've got to get myself out, so I've got to walk it out. Tomorrow I'm going to be better, and I'm going to be better the next day, and I'm going to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday, and I'm not where I want to be, where I'm better than where I've been. We sing all these encouraging phrases to ourselves, and now don't, get it, don't, don't get it misconstrued. You are to encourage yourself. Encourage yourself in the Word. Encourage yourself in the Lord. But you cannot walk this out in your own strength. Jesus Christ has to be. We cannot, we cannot come in here and sing Jesus at the center of it all and give him a place at the end of the table. I've never seen a painting of the Last Supper where Jesus is off on the side like, hey, every one of them. Everybody looks stupid because there's nobody on the front side of the table. You know what I'm saying? That ain't a table at my house. You ever looked at it? They're all like, oh, then we get down there with Jesus. And he's right there at the center. He's the centerpiece of civilization. You, your, your public school can change the meaning of B.C. and A.D. all they want. But we know that time starts all the way up to Jesus' birth, and then it goes zero. Now this is the centerpiece of civilization. This is the center. And every year after that, that's why they was counting down, and we're counting up. From what? From Jesus. You want to walk this out? Jesus. You want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer? Jesus. You've got to know him. You've got to know him, man. I tell you all the time, I know a whole bunch of stuff about Michael Jordan. I don't know Michael Jordan. So you can't come in here and we can't come in here and, and, and play church and, and play church games and go out here in a world that is hurting and dying because James is trying to prepare us that we're going to face tests. We're going to face trials. You are going to face trials in your own life and in your own world. I'm trying to prepare you. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desires to have you, but you must master it. How? By believing the gospel and living it out what you say you believe. If I say I believe the gospel, then I have to believe it. That 
gives us the power to overcome sin and to live like James details, not only in this chapter, but as you're going to find out in the entire epistle. Are we going to sing any more songs tonight? Are we going to sing any more songs? We certainly can. Y'all want to sing a song? Let's sing a song. I'm not going to lead it. I just read you a word that said, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. As I'm slow to speak. Do you see what he's trying to say here? Don't, I, don't want you to, I don't want everybody to yes and amen me because I don't care if you understand what I'm trying to say. I want you to see what James is trying to tell us in this chapter. How are we going to walk this out? You have to get up in his face. You have to lay your life bare. You have to say, ah, I can't do this. I cannot let myself go. I can't let my flesh go. I want Action Comics number one, as Dave would say. We want these things. We pray God reveal them to me so that I can lay them down, and then we don't. I don't know how to, but he does because he laid his life down. While we were his enemies, he laid his life down. Do you believe that? Do you believe it with all your heart? Then get out there and be somebody. Believe the gospel. Live like you believe it. Throw caution to the wind. Worship him in your car. Pray for somebody at the map code, for goodness sake. You don't have to go to Scotland or Honduras to change the world. You have to believe the gospel. You have to wake up and believe it. You have to live it. You have to breathe it. Amen? Let's worship. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your mercy, Lord, that brings us to our knees. It's your steadfast